Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Varza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hey, Roxy. So we are back with another great lineup of topics, including GoDaddy's acquisition of European rival for $1.69 billion. We have German company Trivago that has filed to raise $428 million in an IPO. As always, we had quite a bit of funding in Europe, so we'll highlight the rounds of eFounders, Partech, Lilium Aviation, and Pepo. Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Dominique Krabbe, the head of EIT Digital Challenge, and we'll wrap it up with an interesting discussion of some research findings from both Balderton and Atomico. But before we get started, maybe we should say a quick word about some big announcements that we made at TechCrunch Disrupt concerning Station F. What do you think, Robin? Yeah, maybe I should just interview you for a bit. So let's go. What's Station F for starters? Maybe people don't know. So we are building the largest startup campus in the world based in Paris, and it's backed by big time entrepreneur and investor Xavier Niel. And what does that mean, like a startup campus? Well, how is it different from any other hub or tech campus? So we're actually building something that's probably very similar to a university campus. Uh, if you think about kind of a lot of the university campuses in the States, we have, we're first coming out with a big workspace that's huge. And one year later, we'll also be adding a housing component. So people will be able to have their startups, but there's also a lot of other services that we have within the building and on site. And then they also have an apartment that's kind of down the way. So give me some numbers. How big is the space going to be? How many people are you now, like in the staff? How many startups do you expect to have at the campus? How many events per year do you want to organize? Um, <laughs> sure. So we have so many numbers. They're huge numbers. So the building itself is a historical monument that's 34,000 square meters. So that's literally the size of the Eiffel Tower laying down. We've cut the building into three parts. So one of the zones essentially is the startup zone. It has 3,000 desks. We'll be housing in that zone 10 different international startup programs. Probably about a thousand startups will be based just in that space. Um, another part of the building has event spaces. We have eight total in the whole building, including a 360 person auditorium. We have a number of different meeting rooms. I think there's over 50 private offices. We have a fab lab on site for prototyping. We have a coffee shop. We'll have public services, a post office, tons of different things like that in the other zone. And then we have one third of the building that's a massive restaurant, can seat 1,000 people, has four kitchens and a bar. It's open to the public 24-7. So it's also really important for us to be able to also just have the public be able to come onto campus. And then about 10 minutes away is the housing component, which is around 15,000 square meters of apartments. And that will be able to house 600 of the entrepreneurs that we we work with. Wow. You know your numbers well. <laughs> Had to learn them. <laughs> But that sounds absolutely massive. Uh, really looking forward to that. Um, one last question. I'm interested. So one of the conclusions of uh, Atomico's report, which we'll talk about in a bit, uh, was that there has been really no centralization of European tech in the main hubs like London, Paris, Berlin, and Stockholm, as they were expecting. Instead, it seems like European tech is really all in all of Europe. So with vertical specific hubs and, and like deep learning centers in places like Zurich, Lisbon, Munich, and whatnot. And, and on the flip side, there's this trend of these mega hubs like, you know, factory in Berlin and Bradfield Center in Cambridge. 
um, Interchange in Camden, Google Campus in places like London and Madrid. I just visited Maria 1.0 or 1.0, I don't know how to pronounce it, in Helsinki, and soon Station F in Paris. Now, what is the appeal of these mega campuses if European tech is really getting more fragmented rather than the other way around? So, you know, I think actually when Xavier wanted to do this kind of project, I mean, it started a few years ago. We've been in construction since 2014. At the time when you look at the French ecosystem, and I think it's probably very much the case today, it was kind of, there's a lot of really strong players, but they're relatively small. You know, we have a lot of names like Numa, the family, e-founders, what have you, but they're, they're not like huge kind of in the same way that Google campus is in London and maybe the factory is in Berlin. So I think the objective was to kind of put something massive that would really be kind of emblematic. That way, when foreigners look at France, they can really see something huge in in this ecosystem. And it was also an opportunity to kind of put an entire ecosystem under one roof. We're also using this as an opportunity to bring some international players or players from outside of Paris to uh, our location because the, the point of this project is not just to pick up you know, everybody who's already working in Paris and just put them in a new location. So we were able to announce this past week that we're, you know, having our first members on campus. We, we mentioned who they were. We said, you know, for example, a couple of VCs will be in our space. We also have, you know, Fab Lab, it's a brand from the US. We're bringing HEC, which is a top business school. We're putting their incubator into our space. And that's somebody who's currently not based in Paris. We mentioned that Facebook would be doing something in our space and Vent Privé would be launching its first program in our space. So these are actors that don't yet exist. So I think it's also an opportunity really to do something very, very different and also have a very international appeal, which is kind of not currently the case for for this ecosystem. Right. Very well pitched. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you all the best, of course. Thank you. So now on to our normal topics. Let's move on to GoDaddy's acquisition of UK rival host Europe Group for $1.69 billion. I'm guessing I probably don't have to present GoDaddy for our listeners. It's a U.S. company founded in 1997 that's a domain registrar and a web hosting company um, with more than 63 million domains under register uh, as of January of this year. HEG, which is the company they've acquired in Europe by comparison, is one of Europe's largest web hosting firms. They manage 7 million domains, which is roughly 11% of what GoDaddy manages. So HEC has brands like 123Reg, Domain Factory, Heart Internet, and Host Europe. GoDaddy's acquisition of its UK rival will help the company expand into Europe. The company had already been growing in Europe with apparently 25% of UK-based domains being registered through their service. And apparently GoDaddy Daddy has already considered acquiring HEG back in 2013, but they dropped the plan over integration concerns. Yes, interesting acquisition. I actually started my career in, in the hosting business, so that's a really familiar one for me at least. And another big one. You know, it's not the sexiest one, but it's another big acquisition in Europe. Now, um, German hotel booking site uh, Privago, meanwhile, has updated its US IPO plans this week. Uh, not long after Scottish flight booking site Skyscanner got acquired by Seatrip for a fortune, so uh, these are all interesting developments in the travel tech space. Uh, now, the Dusseldorf-based company uh, was founded in 2005. Uh, it's planning now to price the shares between $13 and $15 a share. That means that it will raise about uh, up to $428 million. Uh, we don't know yet at which valuation and, and how the, the actual opening is going to go, but that's the numbers that they're uh, pitching this week. So this is a, a kayak and TripAdvisor competitor. They have about 1,000 employees. Uh, It's partially owned by Expedia. Um, They showcase over 1.3 million hotels in 190 countries. 
Trivago has raised quite a bit of funding to date, uh, just under $53 million uh, with investors like Housat Media and Inside Venture Partners. Expedia famously purchased a majority of the shares, like 61% of the business back in 2012 for $630 million. But now Trivago is going public, uh, spinning off essentially. There have been relatively few IPOs for European tech companies this year. We've been watching it. But according to TechCrunch, there should be a wave of companies going public in 2017. So Trivago is going to be one of them. We'll have to wait and see for the rest. Yeah, we'll definitely have to wait and see. I'm excited to see who else will be announcing that soon. Now, as usual, we have too many funding rounds to cover in Europe. So this week, we've decided to highlight Franco-Belgian startup studio eFounders, France's Partech, and Germany-based Lilium Aviation and Pepo. So first off, Franco-Belgian startup studio eFounders has raised 5 million euros from 40 investors. They'll be building two new startup studios in Paris and Brussels over the next two years. Um, eFounders is known for having started companies like Mention, Front, Aircall, Textmaster, and more. They essentially launch, house, and staff startups for 18 months. And some of their companies like Front have gone on to do Y Combinator, while others like Aircall and Mailjet have raised funding with prominent investors like Balderton. eFounders has now raised funding from a number of credible entrepreneurs, including Stupefix founder Nicholas Stigman, that company was acquired by GoPro, and Captain Train founder John Daniel Goyot, both who had their companies acquired this year. eFounders has actually previously raised 5 million euros in June of last year, led by Fotolia founder Oleg Cheltsov. Yep. Well, obviously, because they're also in Brussels, I know these guys quite well. It's been very interesting to see them grow and evolve over the past few years. Um, they're basically proving, as far as I'm concerned, that the startup studio model can work. Uh, although you also have to note that they really focus on a very specific type of company building, more specifically, software as a service companies. Um, so that's what they really focus on. The main benefit, of course, of doing that is that with each company that they build, they learn a lot about anything that they can use across the whole network of startups that they have. You know, things like monetization, growth hacking techniques, tricks for onboarding and retaining customers and users, etc. So they, they can use all of these stuff they learn in one company and use it for the next. That means that they can also build tools internally that can help their entire portfolio across the board uh, and boost growth uh, across the network. So in a way, that means the larger they get, in theory, the better they will get at doubling down on the right companies and models, which is you know in itself a very interesting model. So I'll be interested to see how eFunders fares in the next few years. Yeah, and I have to say they've been building out some very, very solid companies. So I think this is terrific news for the Franco-Belgian ecosystems. Yeah, we actually, um, we actually use yeah. Mailjet to send our newsletter and our Monday announcement for the podcast, etc. So, so I really super. Like that. And at Station F, we use mention, so <laughs> everybody's using something. But now we have France-based fund Partech that has announced a new 100 million euro seed fund. Partech as a firm is perhaps one of France's oldest and most successful funds, having invested in companies like Made.com, Cantalk, Sigfox, RockU, Hyperloop One, and more. Um, their seed activity, however, is relatively recent. They only launched their first seed fund in 2013, and the fund's initial LPs and investors included entrepreneurs, angels, investors from Microsoft, Twitter, Dropbox, Apple, and more. So now they have a new 100 million euro fund, which is more than three times the size of their first seed fund. Partech is planning to invest in 80 US and European seed stage startups. And the firm as a whole has made over 50 investments in the last 12 months. So I have to say entrepreneurs looking for funding, probably a good place to go. Yep. And more, more money for European seed stage companies. Always good. Speaking of which, there's a Germany-based company called Lilium Aviation 
and that's a company that develops lightweight electric planes, has announced this week that it has raised 10 million euros from London-based Atomico. This funding is supposed to help them commercialize the lightweight commuter aircraft that can actually take off and land vertically. So the company is also aiming to use these jets for intercity air taxi travel. So I guess it's kind of a competitor for Blaubacar, but in the air. The company was founded in 2015 by a group of former doctoral students from the Technical University of Munich. And this funding should also help contribute to the expansion of the team, uh, which should be about 35 people in the near future. And Atomico founder Nicholas Zandstrom announced the investment at TechCrunch Disrupt in London saying that European VCs want to make flying cars a reality. So aside from all the details, can I just say that this is a fucking cool company to watch? Yeah, I think also if you look at their product, it just, it looks so cool. It looks like, I mean, I don't say that about any flying objects, but um, it just looks really kind of next generation for, you know, what it is. Um, But finally, another interesting investment coming from Germany is now messaging app Peppo, which has announced a $2.3 million dollar round led by China's Tencent. Really kind of very interesting investors in this one. Uh, Some refer to the product as kind of a consumer slack whereby users are connected through the social messaging platform based on their interests. The funding amount doesn't seem to be very significant. I think they decided not to provide the exact amount, but did specify that it was in the tens of thousands. However, they have some really prominent backing. So in addition to Tencent, they have Graycroft, Vector Ventures, Correlation Ventures, and the Fab.com founders. So yeah, I think this is a startup to watch and I think very interesting in terms of the early stage investors they've already brought on board. Yeah, and actually the, the company was actually founded by Jason Goldberg, who's very famous for like starting and, and raising all that money for Fab.com back in the days and eventually selling it for almost next to nothing to uh, to the Irish company PCH. So even the, watching the founder alone start something else is going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I have to say, I hope this one won't turn out the same way. <laughs> um, but now let's listen to Robin's interview with Dominique Kravit, the head of EIT Digital Challenge for European Scale-Ups. Um, and this was recorded at Slush in Helsinki. So, hey, this is Robin from Slush in Helsinki. Uh, I apologize for my voice, too much karaoke. <laughs> but I'm here with uh, Dominique Kravit, who's the head of uh, the EIT Digital Challenge. And maybe just uh, give us the basic, what's EIT Digital? Sure. Well, EIT Digital is uh, the leading pan-European innovation network. So we're backed by the European Commission, uh, by the European Institute of Innovation and Technology, and we bring together a large network of leading corporations, research institutes, and technical universities to help them uh, innovate in the field of digital technology. Uh, But we also have a pan-European acceleration program uh, supporting startups and specifically scale-ups to um, grow internationally, to get access to market, access to new clients, and also access to finance. Great. Well, then I think you're in the right place this week. Uh, but what actually brings you to Slush? What are you doing? Well, specifically here at Slush, we had the last final of our EIT Digital Challenge. So we have five different categories uh, covering five verticals that we focus on. And the last one of these five was here at Slush yesterday uh, on the topic of digital industry. So that was really nice. And we also have a booth here uh, from our accelerator showcasing some of the startups that we support. I took a look uh, at some of the winners. I was highly impressed by, by the quality and some of the ideas that just you know, seemed very innovative to me, at least. Uh, what are some of the ones you liked personally? Well, I think there are uh, a lot of really, really great companies. What we've seen is that 
This year we had more strict criteria, so the startups were were much higher quality. Uh, really, startups are I mean early scale ups, if you like, companies that are already on the market selling their product, and there were lots of really great innovative solutions among all the finalists. I think two that that I would pick out is the winner in the category digital infrastructure. Uh, the company is called iOffice uh, from Spain. They are already uh, pretty large. I mean, they they have. Uh, uh, already uh, two millions in, in revenue per year. Uh, they're already operating uh, on an international scale and they solve a pretty big pain point, which is uh, taking away with interferences between routers uh, for Wi-Fi. So you really get a seamless Wi-Fi experience and um, you also save costs for the people who run Wi-Fi networks. So that's that's a pretty deep technology innovation, patented, very, very innovative and, and very successful. Uh, that's one, and I think uh, maybe picking one from here, from from the slush final at uh, in digital industry, uh, would be Proglove uh, from from Munich. They're a company that has developed a a smart glove, if you like, for for smart manufacturing that lets workers uh, work with both hands freely, but has a scanner included, and so they can directly scan the parts they're building and saves time, it saves money, and it's a kind of the first of a kind smart wearable for for manufacturing. So it's pretty nice. Sounds great. Um, what do you actually give to the startups, the winners of this challenge? Uh, what do they get? Yeah, so so all the winners, it's 15 in total, or actually 16, because yesterday here at the industry final, we chose to have two third prizes. Uh, they will all be invited to Berlin uh, in two weeks from now, on December 12th and 13th, uh, to come together with our whole accelerator team. We have uh, 50 experts from all across Europe. They're going to work with companies, really look into how can we give them introductions into our network of the more than 130 partners that we work with, but also beyond that, how can we help them internationalize their business, grow their business? How can we help them raise money and to really work with them? And we'll have a, a very nice uh, networking event on the evening of December 12th, uh, where TechU is also going to be present. And uh, yeah, we're going to hook them up directly with some partners, investors uh, from our network and yeah, make sure they have a good time and really take some value out of it. That's one thing. And uh we do a lot of publicity and visibility for them, so we're really going to spread the word about them across Europe. They'll also have the chance to to work with our accelerator uh, uh, on the longer term uh, if they choose so. And then on top, on top, of course, the five best ones, so the best companies uh, per category, take home a 50K cash price. Each. Each one, yeah. Really good. Um, you mentioned that you already kind of changed the challenge this year by putting the bar a little higher, um, the more scale-ups than startups. How do you think the challenge will evolve next year? So what are some, some of the things you learned this year that you might change or improve for next year? Yeah, I mean, so what we learned definitely is that it's much harder to find the, the real good scale-up companies, right? So not the ones that might have an innovative idea, but really the ones that have proven that the product market fit is there, that have uh, really revenues and traction already, and that are now ready to, to go international. So that's much harder to find. Um, so we're going to look into... You know, rethinking maybe the, the the price package a little bit, and also maybe rethinking the the, the timeline of the contest um, to make sure we really get these big companies that are you know ready now to scale. They want to get the support fast. They really want to scale up their business. You know, they are not the ones anymore that uh, think so much about prices, but they really want to get their business going. So we're gonna look into yeah how to tap into those even more than this year. But we were really happy by by the results and the quality we got this year already. Maybe a slightly off-topic question. What do you think of Slush this year? Well, I think it's really nice. For me, it's actually the first time at Slush. Uh, EIT Digital and the Accelerator, we have been here uh, for, for several years already. But for me personally, it's the first time. And I'm, I'm really impressed by, by the whole 
production, right? I mean, the way it, it looks is very different from, from other conferences. It's just a great uh, style and a great atmosphere here. Um, I haven't had much time to look around, honestly, unfortunately, but I'll hope I can uh, check a bit out uh, some other startups here and, and some other talks. But it, it's a great production. I mean, a great event to be, for sure. I agree. And I actually think it's one of the best editions and one of the best conferences I've ever been to, um, to be fair. So, yeah, if anyone's listening and you've never been to Slush, you're missing out. Dominic, thank you so much and best of luck with the rest of the event. Thank you very much, Robin. And finally, we have some interesting reports released by Balderton and Atomico with regards to the European startup ecosystem. So starting off with Balderton, they released a report on the European talent landscape with some interesting key findings with regards to hiring international, senior, and technical profiles. The report finds that London, Paris, and Berlin dominate the European startup landscape, and they have as many developers as Silicon Valley. That said, London is by far the most international, with 40% of the workforce coming from or spending time abroad. With regards to technical profiles, salaries for engineering roles can vary by a multiple of four given the location. Uh, it seems developer pay is the highest in Switzerland, not something I would have imagined, um, and actually the lowest in Portugal of the countries that they looked at. And finally, average time spent hiring senior talent is around 20 weeks, costing up to 5,000 euros, um, and which can be longer and more expensive, obviously, when requiring a visa. Yes, very interesting uh, findings. Uh, you can check the whole report at talent.balderton.com, by the way. Now, Atomico and Slush uh, have also teamed up to release a report uh, in Helsinki uh, on the state of European tech. Um, they did that last year as well, but this one's much more extensive. Um, some very interesting findings. A lot of research went into this report, I know, because it also features data from TechEU and DealRoom, our partner. It also features data from LinkedIn, Stack Overflow, London Stock Exchange, Invest Europe, and, and many more. Um, now, this report found that Europe's traditional startup hubs were no longer limited to London, Berlin, Paris, and Stockholm, which I mentioned earlier, but they include many more cities across the continent. Um, they also mentioned that Paris was seriously challenging Berlin and London with regards to the number of VC finance deals and the deal volume. So this is something we've also noticed this year. There's also been, there's been some gradual cooling off on investments, we have to say, uh, across Europe in 2016 compared to last year. So every quarter, it kind of goes down a little bit. Uh, this year, while it went, only went up last year. Uh, nevertheless, uh, projections for the final weeks of this year from Atomico and Slush show that 2016 will still finish as a record year when it comes to both deal volume and capital investment in Europe. Uh, now, another finding is that Europe is becoming more and more focused on deep tech, which means like artificial intelligence, machine learning, driverless cars, AR, VR, the Internet of Things, you know, these planes that can take off vertically uh, and all that. So with the report... Uh, really observing an increase in the developer base in these sectors. Uh, another interesting finding is the increasing involvement from corporates, I think. That was an interesting one. Uh, Europe's largest corporations have acquired more than 50 tech companies and made more than 250 investments since 2011. And meanwhile, Silicon Valley giants have scooped up dozens of European companies over the same time period. There are a lot more findings in the report, of course, so I suggest to look up the report on TechU or SlideShare. Uh, but one more to conclude with, compared to 2015, 88% of the respondents of the survey are either more or equally optimistic about the state of European tech. So that's obviously very encouraging, good for us. And on this optimistic note, we're going to finish the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud if you haven't already and tell all your friends. Uh, you can and should follow Roxanne on Twitter. She's at Roxanne Barza and myself at Robin Waters. 
and of course techu at tech underscore eu hope you listen again next week thank you very much representative for joining us again and best of luck with station app thanks robin Thank you.